I would invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll take a break from the book of Genesis for a little bit. We will come back to that at some point. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are going to start a, a brief series on spiritual warfare we want to use this passage as an introduction to that. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to be reading, um, just for the sake of time, I'll just pick it up in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing that rises up or thing that raised up against the knowledge of God and that and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is fulfilled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage and just the what it teaches us about the reality of spiritual reality that's that's all about us that we need to know and lord i pray that this would be a productive time in this word as we unpack these uh, words and uh, apply these things to our life and we pray this in jesus name amen well paul is in second corinthians here paul is under attack and he's being attacked by some false teachers in the church at Corinth. Uh, they call themselves super apostles. Um, and, and they're fighting against the Apostle Paul. Now, can you imagine just the arrogance there? But that's what's going on. And they're claiming that Paul is not really an apostle at all. He's not from God. In fact, his, he's weak spiritually. He's, he's, not, he, he's walking according to the flesh. And the only real reason that he has any kind of success is because he uses flowery words and persuasive speech. And maybe, maybe they're thinking it's based upon his education because he is well-educated, studied under Gamaliel, the, the well-known philosopher and Hebrew scholar of that day. He was well-known and Paul was his main disciple. But Paul was used by the Lord. They go on to say that uh, in his letters he's real bold, but in reality he's, he's just cowardly. Uh, he's, he, as long as he keeps that safe distance, then he, he has some boldness. But when he's there with you, and they're mistaking his humility and, and his meekness and his gentleness for cowardliness... Um, and they would say, well, his bite doesn't match his bark. He's just all bark and no bite. And in their attack on Paul, they, they showing themselves as completely unaware of the spiritual reality and the spiritual warfare that's actually going on uh, in, in the world. In fact, what they show is they're, they're on the wrong side of the battle line. They are misunderstanding the whole spiritual realm, the whole spiritual warfare that is taking place, and especially the power of the gospel. Now, Paul can address this, because at one point 
in Paul's life, he was on the wrong side, wasn't he? He was fighting against God. Romans chapter 9, actually, chapter 7, 8, and 9. Paul is fighting against the church. Now, some of the people in the church of Corinth had repented. Some have uh, uh, turned and uh, have repented and, and is on, are on Paul's side, but some have not. And Paul is warning them at this point that he, he's going to have to come and visit. And when he comes to visit, he wants that reunion to be a wonderful time of, of joy and, and celebration that he can be with them. But he's afraid it's going to be one of conflict. And that's, so he's, he's warning them that he, if he does come, it could be, it could not be a, a pretty picture. So Paul is warning them of this. But, but also the main focus, I think, here is, is to bring attention to the spiritual warfare that's, that's going on about him. is not just a, a skirmish between men and even these, these apostles, these false apostles in the church at Corinth, but it's, uh, it's part of a greater war that's going on. An ongoing war that, that's been going on for, for many, many years, and Paul is a part of that, and Paul's on the right side of this war. And this is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. And I think we need to be aware of this today. And so I want to bring some attention to this. We live in a world that I believe is, is drifting into the spiritual realm. Okay, for, for a time there, for many years there, we, we've kind of denied uh, the... Uh, people are trying to deny the existence of God, trying to, to just explain away any kind of anything that's spiritual... Uh, and explain away the whole spiritual realm. They're having a hard time doing that. But it's based upon evolution. And it's based upon just things that they can measure. Just the materialistic world. The material world. Because there's evolution only produces material. There's nothing outside of that. And that's what we've been told for many, many years now. And and I think the world is becoming disillusioned with that. You, you begin to see pockets of that, especially in the northwestern corner of America, up in Oregon and, and Washington State. They're just becoming disillusioned because they, they are waking up to the fact that there is something else out there. It, it's not just material. It, it cannot be. There are things that just cannot be explained from, from the evolutionary standpoint. And, and we're becoming aware of, of that. Now, don't be confused because this is not Christian. They're not Christian. It, just because they're spiritual, it, it doesn't, doesn't make automatically make them buying into the whole Christian viewpoint. And that's what makes it a greater danger. Because, because they're a little bit more susceptible to not the confines of Scripture, but to, to the whole spiritual realm. And that becomes very dangerous because then you open yourself up to um, all, all kinds of things. You, you grasp at anything spiritual, leading into mysticism, leading us into the extraterrestrial. That's becoming real popular these days. UFOs and aliens. Even Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster again. Uh, exorcism, demonic activity. Haunted houses and haunted mansions and haunted 
psycho wards. Now you can you can pick these up on your TV and you watch the shows and you know it's it's kind of silly, but they're making money off of it because people are interested. They know that the spiritual reality is out there. It exists. They don't know where to get the truth from it though. And it's a drift. They're drifting then into spiritual warfare. They're drifting into things that they do not know, uh, the unknown, and they're opening themselves up to a lot more vulnerability, opening themselves up to a, a lot more danger, to a world that they don't even understand. They do not uh, understand that it is even a reality. They don't even know that it exists. And it's a war. It's battle. It's, it's life or death. And it's and it's real. Now, the United States have has been in twelve major wars. In fact, we were born out of war. We've had a cold war even. Um, in fact, there's rarely a time on the globe or around the world that there's not a war. In fact, I, I just was just interested. I, so I asked uh, Alexa, how many? How many skirmishes and wars and conflicts are going on right now? And there's 40, apparently, 40 conflicts that are going on in the world right now. We would know of of Ukraine, but you may not be aware of the Sudan. There's always conflicts down there, Iraq and even Israel. There's spiritual or there's wars are going on, but most of the time we it doesn't affect us. we, We don't even think about it. We don't even we're not really even aware of it. But there's always that danger, especially even in third world countries, of drifting into places you shouldn't shouldn't go. I know when I was I went down to Tijuana and there was one whole section. Eh, you don't want to go in there. It's where the drug lords are, and you get in, in, into some of the crossfire, and you 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 could be in danger. Even in Chicago over the weekends, there's there's uh, gang wars. There's danger. There's there's wars that are going on, and we understand the idea. If you get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's there's danger in there, and that's in the real world. And the same thing happens in the spiritual realm, the spiritual world. And Paul's is having to correct some things, some misunderstandings about the spiritual realm here. And in doing so, just a little bit, in doing so, he just pulls back the curtain to the spiritual realm, just enough to to get a a little bit of a glimpse that there is a war going on. And it's a serious thing. And so I want to spend some time on this in the next few weeks. We're going to study Satan and spiritual warfare, Satan's sin and spiritual warfare. Because I, I think that in the greater Christian community, if you want to call it that, the greater Christian community, I think there's too many people that are just kind of oblivious to the world that's going on, the spiritual warfare that's going on. Now, here at Daniel's Bible Church, I believe that, that we have great unity. And I think that unity comes down to the, just teaching the truth. But we have to be on guard, folks. We have to be on guard. And we have to make sure that we're not like Paul, fighting against Christ and his church, the real church, we have to make sure we're on the right side of the battlefield. So I think it's important that we study this, this topic. And I want to start by understanding just these three verses that I've read to you here. 
uh, and let this be kind of an introduction to spiritual warfare. And just for the sake of time, I, I want to pick it up at the end of verse 2, because here's what they, they are accusing Paul of. The end of verse 2 says, who consider us as if we walked according to the flesh. They're, they're saying, you're using that term flesh in the moral sense, that Paul is kind of immoral and he's, he's uh, just walking according to the immoral flesh. And then he uses a play on words in verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh... Now, you see the play on words. He's not talking about moral flesh anymore. He's talking about this physical realm. The, the, the spiritual body... Or the physical bodies that we, that we live in. And uh, the, the physical material world. The lifestyles that we live in in this world he says we walk or we have this lifestyle in the physical flesh even though we do that we we do not war according to the flesh we don't war according to the flesh it's a spiritual battle it's not a it's not for physical territory or state against state or people uh against people or flesh and bones against flesh and bones. No, this is a spiritual realm. In fact, Jesus said, if you remember, He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and he, the implication is, if my kingdom were of this world, He says, my, my people would fight. But we don't fight. Now, how do we know? Because the, the weapons of our warfare, the, the, the weapons that we have that God has given us are not physical he, he hasn't told us to pick up stones and, and spears and bows and arrows and knives. Nothing like that. Not biological weapons even. Not political weapons. Not uh, social uh, scheming on, on how, to, how to win in this Christian battle. And it's not even... One I heard just recently, just this week actually is that we need to we as Christians need to have more children so that we can outpopulate the unbeliever. And so that that's that's the new warfare. And that's you know I I believe in kids, it's a great thing to have kids, but that's not the weapons that he's talking about. That those are physical weapons. We don't have physical weapons. God didn't give us physical weapons, but our weapons are divinely powerful. They're in the spiritual in the spiritual realm. And divinely power that they are generated by God. God has given them, uh, get, uh, God given. They are uh, sustained and energized by God. They are from God in the spiritual realm. In fact, the, uh, the the physical weapons, any physical weapons that you would have, can never produce spiritual freedom. It just can't happen. You you fight people on a on a physical level and you overcome them, they die, and you just defeated the whole purpose spiritually. You sent them to hell. It doesn't even make sense. You, you can't fight people on a physical level. No, it has to be in a spiritual realm. And that's what Paul is talking about. For though we walk in the flesh, the physical world, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, and notice this, for the tearing down of strongholds. Tearing down of strongholds. What's a stronghold? 
Well, he's using this in a metaphorical sense here. The word is fortress. Some of the translations might use fortress. Uh, the ancient world would have understood this. They would have, every city, all the major cities, would have had a fortress outside the city. In fact, in Corinth, it was just to the south of Corinth, and it was up on a hill, and that would be an uh, optimal uh, defense uh, position. If there was an attack on the city, everyone would leave the city and go to the fort. That's what would happen. They would fortify themselves in that, in that place. They would be safe there. Now, he's using this in, a, in kind of a, a negative sense. This is a, a bad fort. <laughs> in fact, it's more like a, a tomb. Um, because this is a fort that's, that's built by... It's a spiritual fort. Fortifications is a spiritual stronghold. And it's, um, it's built by Satan. It's built by Satan's lies. Doctrines of, of demons. And it's bound up in the heart of man. And it, and it keeps man blinded. These are uh, belief systems. Uh, fortification. Now, we are to tear down these fortifications. That's our, our job. We are tearing down these fortifications. These spiritual strongholds that have uh, gained... Uh, a foothold in our life, these lies of Satan, these doctrines of demons. Now, let's just think about this. We, have, we are in this building here. And this is great. We're protected here. But if somebody shut those doors and locked us in this building, then this building would be, we'd be trapped. It would be more like a, a tomb, wouldn't it? And that's the kind of fortress that he's talking about. These are, these are uh, ideas and belief systems that hold men captive. In fact, he in verse 5, he, he says we are tearing down speculations. That's another word for it, speculations. And I like what MacArthur says about these. These are thoughts and ideas, reasonings, philosophies, and false religious religions are the idealistic, uh, ideolog- ideological forts in which men barricade themselves against, the, against God and the gospel. And that's exactly what it is. Belief systems, ideas, and, and we, we pull ourselves in, we believe these things, and they are against God and the gospel. In fact, he goes on to say, we tear down these speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. These are just... Proud ideas, prideful ideas, ideas that, that trump God. This is man and his wisdom. Man and his wisdom. Let me show you a little bit more just to help explain this. In First, first Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, let no man deceive you. And that, that would be one of the, the things that we're talking about here. Deception. Let no man deceive you. If anyone, if any man among you think that he is wise, remember those things that are lofty have lifted up themselves above the knowledge of God, think themselves as wise in this age, must become foolish. We must tear down that kind of wisdom and become foolish so that they may become wise. What's he talking about there? The, the tearing down of these strongholds, these lies that say, we have bought into 
in the satanic realm. We tear those down and we start from scratch with God's wisdom, not our own wisdom. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he who is, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Those philosophies, those ideas, the word of God can just dismantle those things. He goes on to say in verse 20, the Lord knows the, the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. They are useless to him. Now that's a good description here. And our job is, is then to, to tear those things down. Now, so he's talking about world religions. He's talking about demonic thoughts, opinions, speculation, viewpoints, worldviews. In fact, in other places, Paul's called them vain imaginations, speculations, doubts. Remember when Satan goes to Eve... He says, has God said, and he places a little doubt there. And a fortress, imagine a fortress. Now, just look at the, the sides of the walls here. Each one of those, each of these walls have bricks in them. Each one of those, and just imagine, each one of those bricks is a lie from Satan that just keeps building and building and building to the point that you're just entombed in falsehood. Entombed in a lie, in a whole philosophy. Suspicions, cultural uh, strongholds. And Satan is very inventive here. He, He knows what he's doing. And the only thing that can set us free, folks, is the truth of God's Word. Remember what Christ said. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And we tear those things down with the Gospel. We tear those, those fortresses down with the truth of God's Word and with p- prayer. Those are the spiritual weapons that we have. The gospel, truth, and prayer. And we are to take every thought captive, even in our own minds. It's an ongoing process, isn't it? We are called to renew our minds. So put off these bad ideas, renew our mind, and put on these right ideas. We see that in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And only the Word of God can do that. Only the Word of God can completely and totally dismantle a fort, a fortress that, that, uh, of lies that Satan, that we have bought into, that, that keep us from God Himself. Only God's Word is powerful enough to uh, handle the satanic wisdom and rescue man from, from being entombed in Satan's lies. So Paul, Paul's success did not come from himself. Paul's success in ministry has come from, from God himself and, uh, and only God, because Paul in and of himself doesn't have the power to save souls. He doesn't have the power, the, the ingenuity, the, the, the worldly wisdom or the methodology to, to successfully set people free. And to take down Satan's strongholds. Only divine power can do that. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can work in a life to transform a life. And break those chains. And set those set us free. Set people free. Now folks, that's genuine warfare. That, that's the kind of warfare that Paul is talking about. 
And he's warning. He's warning, I'm going to come and I'm going to have to discipline you. Because you're on the wrong side of this. This war, this battle that's going on. And it's a serious thing. And that spiritual warfare needs understanding. Okay? So I want us to, I want us to think through this a little bit. Because I... And I want us to see things from a scriptural standpoint, because I don't want you to just buy into what I say. Let me give you some reasons. I think there's five reasons here that we should study spiritual warfare. And there's just from scripture, we'll try to go through these quickly. Why study spiritual warfare, Satan and and spiritual warfare? Number one, we're commanded to know the schemes of Satan. We're commanded to know the schemes of Satan. Look at at these passages here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 11 says, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. If we stay ignorant of his schemes, what's he going to do? He's going to take advantage of us. In uh, Ephesians, if you go over to Ephesians, the passage that was read for us earlier gives us a, a little bit of a glimpse into this as well. Ephesians chapter Four verse 14, he says, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and craft carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We have to know Satan's schemes. And in chapter 6 and verse, uh, verse 15, therefore, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, and verse 10, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power and the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. S- Satan has strategies. He has schemes. And he's very good at it. He knows what he's doing. And we need to know those so that we can, so that we can stand. We have to know those things. So we, we have to study spiritual warfare. Number two, we are commanded to put on the full armor of God. Now, this is the passage that we just read, the full armor of God, so that we can be ready for, for battle. Uh, it says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Same idea, same words that Paul's using before, but according to the ruler's against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's kind of scary. That sounds like danger. And he says, you, you better put on battle armor to go into battle. Number three, we're to be bold. We're to be bold and not fearful. Now, Paul had to pull Timothy. He was kind of pulling Timothy into this battle. Paul was in the thick of things, it seems like, all the time. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said to Timothy, he says, For God has not given us the spirit of timidity or, or fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me in, in his prisoner, me his prisoner, but join me 
in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. You need to join. I'm in prison because of this this spiritual war, and you need to join me. And God has given you, not given you fear, but but given you uh, power and strength. That fear, I think, comes from the Lord, or from Satan himself. And there's, I, I like what MacArthur says at, at this point. He says, there is no lie, there are more lies, sorry, there are more lies propagated today than any other time in history. Think about that, because I was kind of blown away with that, because how can there be more lies? And and he points to the communication factor. We have so much communication today. We have Facebook and and Twitter or X and uh, Instagram. and, And you know what? So much more opportunity to spread falsehood. And Satan can be so much more effective. And as the world gets further and further from the, the truth of God's Word, the reality of Scripture, the more speculation they're going to drift into. They're going to drift into the supernatural realm and mysticism and suspicion to the point that it's just their own imaginations is going to scare them and they're just going to react to everything, right? When you're fearful... What do you do? You just jump at everything. And, and that's where we're going to be. And Paul, Paul says to Timothy, don't be like that. God has not given us that kind of spirit. And, and so how do we not be that way? How do we become bold? We have to know the spiritual warfare, know the enemy, and know what's going on so that we can prepare ourselves for battle. The battlefield can be dangerous. Unless you know what you're doing. And then number four, we have to become discerning. We have to become discerning. We are must be able to discern. We go over to First John chapter 4. We have to study spiritual warfare so that we can have some discernment. And John points this out in the First John chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit... And this is where our our world is today. In fact, it's not just the world, folks. We have a whole branch of Christianity that's just bringing anything in the world in. He says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Boy, that's a reality. And he's calling for us, the church, to become discerning. We have, to, we have to know right from wrong, truth from error. And then number five, if we go back to our passage, I believe that... Let me read this passage again in 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but divinely powerful, the, powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. We have to be effective. And what he's talking about here is aggressive. This is not passive. We are tearing down. If we're going to be uh, effective 
for the kingdom of God, we have to be prepared for this battle and we have to be able to go into this battle knowing what we're doing and attack the right places, tearing down speculations and every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive. Now, how were you this week? Did you take every thought captive? Every thought was pure. Every thought was righteous. Every thought was according to the the confines of Scripture. Wow. I can't say that. That's work. It's a lot of work. And I'm afraid so many people, folks, are just caught up in this physical world. They don't even know that there's a spiritual battle going on. They have no idea of how to take every thought captive. They don't know the Word of God. We have a Christianity that doesn't know the Word of God well enough to be able to take every thought captive. Now, for us, though, to be effective servants of Jesus Christ, we have to study spiritual warfare. We have to know what we're doing. We have to be aware of these things. Now, the question then is, where is the... Well, there's several questions. And what I want to do is ask these questions, just kind of move through this. We're almost out of time, so I don't. we'll get to one today. But we need to know where the battle lines are. Uh, There's going to be a football game today. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win, or they're going to attempt to win, right? And we're going to know where the battle line is. You have the one side, you have the other side. We know the battle lines because they're different colors, right? It's easy to tell. We know the battle lines because one's facing one way, the other facing the other. They're facing each other. We can discern this. We can know these things. But in the spiritual realm... It's a lot more complicated. Because we have a a Satan that, if you don't know, that he is an angel of light, that that he can can make things look so good, you would think he's on the right side. I want to be on his side. So there's problems. We have to ask ourselves, where where does Satan come from? What is Satan like? We have to know the battle lines, where those battle lines are. We have to be able to identify the right teams. Let me just quickly move through uh, just some information, general information about the spiritual realm, specifically Satan himself. Number one, Satan was created. Satan is a created being. You need to be be aware of that because so often we, we what do we do? We elevate Satan to the to the point that he he almost becomes sovereign. But but Satan is not. He's he's limited. In fact, within the first creation week, God created a host of angels. We don't know how many, but it's a fixed number. It's a fixed number. And they're there to to do His bidding. They're there as messengers, ambassadors for God. And there's different kinds of angels. There's seraphim. There's living creatures. There's um, cherubims. And at the top seems to be, if you look in Scripture, there's, there's three or four angels that stand out. Gabriel is one, uh, Michael the archangel, and Satan was actually created in, in that upper atmosphere, the, the, the highest of the angels. That's just what we see in Scripture. 
And he has been granted power, but note, it's just power that's granted. It's in, not in and of himself. He's being used by the Lord. He's still God's instrument, not just of messenger anymore, but now of judgment. He's a messenger of judgment. And I, I believe that he was in that, that tri-tier of either Michael, Gabriel, and Satan himself, and Satan fell. But he has limited power. There seems to be an organizational structure within uh, the satanic realm. You have angels and authorities and dominions and powers and rulers of this world. Thrones. And Satan is at the head. But note, he is, he is limited. He is a created being. And, and we, we dare not overestimate, uh, overestimate what he can do. He is still under God's rule. He is limited. Number two, though... He is a spiritual being. He's a spiritual being. Now, he can take on a body, but it's primarily, he's primarily a spiritual being. We, we have seen that in, in the Old Testament. These angels are able to take on bodies. But they're spiritual. In the spiritual realm. They're, they're not human with physical bodies. They're immaterial they're not flesh and bones. Christ points that out about Himself in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. That means they're invisible. They don't brush up against you. You can't feel them. They're not out there trying to make a, uh, get attention and do strange things out in front of us so that we could take their picture or anything like that. There's no gender. They are multilingual multilingual where they they can they can speak so that people can understand no matter what language that they are in and they are ageless they don't seem to age that's what we see in scripture now that means that ghostbusters is wrong they can't capture them in a in a box there's just no way no way to do that but they're out there so we we dare not underestimate them. Don't overestimate them. Don't put them above God, but don't underestimate them either. That's a dangerous thing. In fact, number three, we see that they're an evil spirit. Satan is an evil spirit. He is, he is not pure. He is unclean spirit, we see. He was created pure, but he has sinned. And he's, in fact, he's led a rebellion and taken one-third of the angels with him when he fell. And you can see that. Revelations 12. 2 Peter 2. There's one passage I want us to turn to. That, to get a grasp of Satan. Just quickly. And that is. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now. It may seem like this is talking about the king of Tyre. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 starts out. with talking about the, the king of Tyre. And then he moves into verse 11. He moves into the force of the power between, uh, behind the king of Tyre. <clears throat> verse 11, he says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lament against or over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, You had the zeal, or you have the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, 
the garden of God. Now, wait a second. He's not talking about a man anymore. He's talking about the force behind the man. And he goes on and describes, and he's talking about Satan here. He describes his beauty. In fact, in verse 13, on the day you were created, verse 14, it says you were anointed, the anointed cherub who covers, that actually the word could be translated who guards. And the idea is he was probably one of those who guards the very throne of God. That was, that was Satan. He says, I placed you there and you were on the holy mountain of God and you walked in the midst of the stone of fire. You were blameless in your ways. There's perfection with him. Full of the day, uh, from the day that you were created until, and this is the key, until unrighteousness was found in you. What kind of unrighteousness was he talking about? He goes on to say, and you sinned. Verse 17, your heart was lofty because of your beauty. Satan was was a a beautiful angel, probably one of the most most beautiful. And And it generated some pride in his life. The lofty ideas. And you corrupted your wisdom by reason. And your splendor, I caught up, uh, I, I cast you to the ground and put you before kings they, they, they could see you. So what, what is this thing that Satan was caught up in? If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 14, we see a, another glimpse. Isaiah chapter 14 of Satan. Uh, in fact, it's very much, this is a, this is the king of Babylon. He goes in, the force behind Babylon. We'll pick up in verse 12. It says, You have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who were wicked uh, uh, have weakened the nations. Verse 13. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Notice the number of times that he says, I will. I will rise up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's the epitome of pride. So within that first creation week, Satan was created. He looks around. He sees the reality. Hey, I'm the, mo- I'm the most beautiful of all of the creatures. And it, and it elevated him. And he says, I think I can take him. He believed his own lies. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take over God's position. And he winds up being used by God. Being used by God as a as a, a form of judgment upon upon the earth. So that's that's Satan, full of pride, and and we dare not underestimate him. He is obviously persuasive. He was able to persuade one third of the the demons to to come after him and come with him and follow him and start this rebellion against God. And what makes him dangerous is he can appear as a, an angel of light. He's, he has beauty, folks. So what's his territory? What's his range? How mobile is he? Well, we see it. there's three levels in heaven, and he can go to the very highest level. He stands before God himself. 
There's the, the stellar level of heaven. We talked that we see this in Scripture. The sun and moon and the stars. He can traverse that and he can come down to the very lowest level, that just the, the atmosphere. In fact, he's called the prince of the power of the air. So he can traverse all of those. Very, very mobile. He's not bound in physically in any way. So we have to be very careful. Uh, there's, he, he deceives the nations. Let me show you how vast he can be and how far he can go. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, we'll draw this to a close just in one second here. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 8, I'm sorry. He says this, and Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. And then he's going to be free in verse 8. And will come out to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth. So he can go and stand before God himself and traverse all of that space, come and deceive all of the nations that are on the earth at the same time. In fact, so much so that he creates this war against God, thinking one last stand. We can take it. And he persuades people. It's amazing. Amazing power. But number five, and we'll end at this, he is accountable to God. He is an accountable being. There's no salvation for any of these demons, Satan himself. He, ultimately, he's going to be put in the, uh, the pit, in, in fact, the, the lake of fire. What happens, though, when Satan feels threatened? What happens when there seems to be, wait, time is coming to a close? There's this, there's this intensity that we see today, and I think that's what's happening. Things are growing worse and worse, more and more intense. Folks, we need to pray, Lord, give us more soldiers. We need to be in more and more involved in this spiritual warfare. We need to be more and more discerning. There has to be a more intensive effort and a more awareness of spiritual warfare. Satan is real. He is an enemy of God and he is an enemy of, of God's people. That, that would be us. And if we're going to be servants of the Most High God, if we're going to represent God well, we better know what we're doing. We better be good on the battlefield. And we better be prepared for battle. And I think the, the greater Christian community is not. I think the greater Christian community is very shallow. And I think they're very susceptible to what any lie Satan would bring their way. And folks, that should scare us. That should scare us. Because I'm afraid that there's some people in the battle, like Paul. There's some people in that battle today praying some people in the battle just, just fighting with the gospel. Some people standing for the truth. They're, they're on the cutting edge of this battle. But there's some that are just disillusioned. In fact, there's some that they are probably not even aware that the battle is going on. And folks, don't let anyone of Daniel's Bible Church be in that category. We must stand. We must be aware that there's a battle. We must know how to fight. And that's what we're going to be looking at. I would encourage you to not miss these next few weeks as we look at these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, if there's anyone here that's on the wrong side of this, this battle, spiritual battle, I pray that you'd work in their heart. 
Lord, we know Satan is a powerful force and, and he comes against your people and, and he has a very persuasive person, but he is the father of lies. Lord, help us, help us to not be susceptible. Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for working in our own heart. We thank you for the transformation from within. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Word of God to to change us and to make us new people and to tear down the speculations in our own life, the, the strongholds in our own life. We thank you. We entrust our hands, our, our lives into your hands. We thank you for being a powerful God. Keep us, Lord, from the evil one. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.